They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors. Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. And I'm Joe McGarry. And we are two follically challenged pastors serving congregations in the New England Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, or as we like to call it, the ELCA. Today, it's our honor to sit in person. We rarely sit in person with guests, so we must really be in holy territory yes, today. Yes, yes. We are sitting with Bill Peterson, who is an ELCA pastor, but he is serving All Saints... Episcopal Church in Wolfboro, New Hampshire, and we are honored to have him with us. Welcome, Bill. It's great to be here. Thank you for visiting. Yeah, this is a great church, a great location we saw, right? You know, you, you got businesses and houses around here. This is, this is really nice. 6,600 year-round residents, and it more than triples in the summertime. Wow, wow. So Jimmy Fallon comes to visit his in-laws here in town, and Mitt Romney brings all of his kids and grandkids and the rest of the Mormon church. So it's a pretty busy place in the wow. summertime. Yeah, well. So what, tell us a little bit about the church, uh, some of the things that you guys are doing ministry-wise, some of the things you're excited about. Sure. All Saints uh, has a real history of being kind of a community church. I like to think of us as the liturgical community church in Wolfboro, uh, made up as Lutheran churches are of people from all different kinds of faith backgrounds. But the real focus and emphasis here is on worship and on outreach and serving the community. So right through, uh, well, you can't see it on the podcast, but next door, through that window, (laughs) Joe, you get a great look at our outreach building, which is a building that houses the town welfare office, houses our Lord and Taylor thrift shop, uh, which sells items at one and two dollars a piece, as well as provides free clothing to those that need it, um, and generates about $60,000 a year in revenue on $1 and $2 items. So it's the oh, wow. best wow. place to shop here in Wolfboro. Uh, we also, uh, our cast-offs from that sorting process goes to Salvation Army, and we're one of the top three largest donors to Salvation Army in this part of the state of New Hampshire. And then the ground floor houses, Lord, uh, Lord and Taylor is upstairs, Life Ministries, which is a collaborative ministry of seven area churches, uh, runs the local food pantry. And so we, we are one of seven churches, and we're blessed to house uh, that ministry here on our campus. Wow, that's great. You have the insight from the inside of what it's really like to live into our full communion partnership with the Episcopal Church. And uh, you wanted to share some of that experience and, and how that came to be for you personally, maybe even from a call perspective and, and just sure. how it's going. Yeah, just sure. really anything. Um, We'd love to hear how that how You know, that works. I, I did my seminary education in Philadelphia where there is an Anglican studies department and there were four full-time faculty members at the time uh, that were Episcopal priests. And uh, so... Uh, one of my friends joked that I could be an Episcopalian over lunch one day in the refectory, and I laughed and said, ha-ha, sure. And uh, here, years later, I am serving um, as, as priest pastor here, as the rector of All Saints Episcopal Church, and uh, living into that, leaning in and living into that agreement. So it's really, on the one hand, it's no different than serving as a Lutheran pastor. On the other hand, I have to worry about... Uh, 
rubrics from the Book of Common Prayer, and tradition is uh, probably more deeply held by Episcopalians than by Lutherans, if you can believe that. And, so, and you get all the fun names for things. And we get all the fun names for things. Yes, so we have a vestry rather than a council, and I'm a rector rather than a pastor. And uh, we have bishops, and we have canons to the ordinary. I always thought there should be a canon to the extraordinary, but right. uh, <laughs> our canon to the ordinary is pretty extraordinary. Um, and so it's, it's a lot of fun trying to balance uh, kind of two worlds. So I claim the yeah. title Luther Palian because Luther. clearly my theology and my roots are Lutheran, but I'm living, I'm living that theology and that faith life in an Episcopal context. And how's that been collegially f- for you with some of your um, Episcopal priest colleagues? Um, here in the Lakes region, uh, the churches uh, gather in what would be a Lutheran conference. We call it a convocation. Okay. And we gather monthly for lunch as colleagues, and we gather monthly um, as a convocation with lay and clergy together. Um, as kind of a link to the diocese, to the Episcopal Church of New Hampshire. And the local group is called the Looney Group. Uh, Loons are big here Mm, in the Lakes region of New Hampshire. And uh, so I think it's apt that any clergy group be called the Loonies. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, So they're, they're a great support. And I gather with them monthly. And then also um, I gather because the closest Lutheran church is across the lake Mm -hmm. or North Conway or Newington all take about 50 minutes for me to get to. And so we do an ecumenical text study group rather than a a traditional conference-based pericope group. Yeah, sure. Uh, The New Hampshire conference meets in Manchester, which is a little bit more than an hour, hour and 15 minutes or so. And that's a little tough to make on a weekly basis. Yeah, so you said the the diocese is New Hampshire, which is a big difference for us in New England because the ELCA expression is all of the New England states plus a few from upstate New York. So that's a a different territory experience as well. So 46 parishes in the Episcopal Church of New Hampshire plus a number of summer chapels um, that the bishop has responsibility for. And there are a number post-secondary schools. Um, in New Hampshire that are affiliated with um, the Diocese of New Hampshire. St. Paul's, which is an Episcopal school, is a national Episcopal school not affiliated with the local diocese. Mm -hmm. Well, 46 Episcopal churches in the state of New Hampshire and Nine or ten ELCA churches? Exactly. Yeah. exactly. I mean, I, maybe it's more than that. Yeah, but something like that. It's you have crazy. enough fingers, basically. You know, <laughs> yeah. One church. one week, this was several years ago when I felt like I, I had time to burn. I got out kind of my maps and overlaid the ELCA synod system and the Episcopal Church's diocesan system and kind of where people were. And if you really overlay the two of them, we're kind of even across the country, which is kind of interesting. So we're we're the strongest, say, in the interior part of the country. Absolutely. Is where the Episcopal Church is more spread out and vice versa, where they've got much more representation on the coasts. I, I like to think that serving as a Lutheran in New England must be like being an Episcopalian serving in Minnesota yeah, or right. Chicago land. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I think there's an Episcopal diocese of Minnesota where we have, I think, six or seven synods in Minnesota. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And in New England where we have one synod, right, exactly. there are seven dioceses yeah. in New England. So this is not your first call. You were first uh, pastor in Connecticut. And so tell us that journey from from Connecticut to coming up here? Uh, Sure. 
it was a little unusual. <laughs> um, having lived in New Hampshire prior to going to seminary, um, I'm really a northern New England kind of a person. I love northern New England. I love the outdoors. I love the people. I love the geography. I grew up in upstate New York, uh, which is wonderful, but I really resonate with northern New England and New Hampshire especially. As we mentioned earlier, there are very few churches in New Hampshire. I knew that it would be uh, a challenge to find a call at a parish um, in New Hampshire in the Lutheran Church. There were a couple of possibilities, and so there was a retirement that was going to happen. Um, And so I had a conversation uh, with Tim Roser, the associate to the bishop for Northern New England, and said, Tim, when that parish is ready to do their profile, I might be interested in that call. And I was serving a a parish in East Hartford, Connecticut, and it was a five to seven year call in my sense of where things were at. And I was starting um, almost to year four. And when I had that conversation, I got an email saying uh, from the bishop saying, I talked to Tim, that makes sense. I think that parish might be a good fit for you and we'll keep you in the loop. Yep. And then months go by and, um, and um, I get another email saying, there's this parish open in New Hampshire that's an Episcopal church that is open for a Lutheran pastor to consider a call there. And so I received the profile for the, this parish and had no mobility paperwork in yeah. and uh, proceeded through a search process where both churches, both bishops' offices were more than um, hospitable and said, well, do whatever the other one requires. And so I dusted uh, off... They didn't say to do anything. I, I, <laughs> right. I dusted off my, uh, my old uh, show up. paperwork and uh, did not submit it into the national system, okay. uh, but photocopied it and, um, and sent it with a resume, which Episcopal call process oh, God, uh, requires. Uh, but I was not registered into their database either. And so I worked through a call process not being registered were engaged in any national database <laughs> uh, with the blessing of two bishops. Yeah. Um, and it was a call process that, that worked. And um, I wasn't looking for a call necessarily. And as we worked through it and visited and talked with one another, um, it became clear that this was a good match for my gifts. And um, even though I had never considered a call outside of the Lutheran Church, yeah. when this one presented itself, things lined up and the God laughs and the Holy Spirit nudges and moves right, and exactly. blows the paperwork off your desk. And uh, here I am. Yeah. Nice, nice. I think everybody was surprised. I don't think this was a congregation looking necessarily for a Lutheran. And uh, I don't think this Lutheran was necessarily looking for an Episcopal church. The but time. there was an openness there, obviously, on both your part Absolutely. and theirs, and that's really wonderful. Absolutely. So, so we should celebrate that. That's great. That's great. So going back, uh, let's go back a little bit in your history. When you started feeling that call to ministry, you know, we on the podcast like to talk about connecting our faith and our life and what does that look like. And just to get a little glimpse of what, what brought you to feeling the call to go to seminary, because you, you are a second career seminarian. Yep. And can you just kind of talk a little bit about that process and kind of what you did in your, your prior life? Sure. Nobody told me I'd have to share my call story again. Um, yeah, you did that once. You're yeah, good. once. That's, that's <laughs> enough. My, uh, my immediate background uh, before I went to seminary, I was in higher education and I was the dean of a school of hospitality, tourism, and culinary management. And prior to getting into higher education in that field, I worked in that field. Um, And so I've managed hotels and restaurants and opened conference centers, served as a corporate hotel inspector, 
uh, for an international hotel company for a while. And uh, it was really my work with students that, that drew me to realize that I was doing, um, I was doing a lot of counseling and, and service related work with students and faculty. You don't manage faculty much as you don't manage parishioners. It's herding cats. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and so guiding and encouraging and walking with and accompanying um, students and faculty really was good preparation, I think, for ministry. And I was clearly feeling a call to do something in the church and not really sure what that was, um, thinking um, that it, I probably would do something in hospitality. And so I engaged in another, a number of um, church-related roles that would use my hospitality gifts and serve the church. And uh, all three of those um, search um, processes that I participated in failed, thankfully, because uh, <laughs> I, I'm not sure I would have gone to seminary otherwise. So yeah. I'm grateful for that time of discernment and wrestling. And really, it became clear that two of those searches were still ongoing. And um, in the course of one week, I had three different people use the same formula and say, Bill, I know you're really wrestling with what you're supposed to do. I really apologize for even suggesting this, but have you considered being a pastor? And all three of those folks I admired. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I listened to them. I, I describe it as, you know, Jesus swinging a baseball bat and me ducking mm. continually for a long time. And finally, that week, it became very clear that... Then you got that, hit in the face, and here you are. Then I got hit in the face, and here, <laughs> here I am. I'm not sure baseball analogies <laughs> really work. Sometimes they work. Well, for Episcopalians, you know, in the Anglican communion, maybe, cricket. maybe a cricket analogy cricket, cricket would, work, yeah. would work much better. Yeah. So now that you've been up here a couple of years now, right? Yep. What are some of the ways that, I mean, you talk about with colleagues getting together. Uh, has there been any movement on the ground as far as uh, Episcopal parishioners and Lutheran members uh, getting together to do anything cooperatively or, or, or learning from each other or anything along Sure. Those there, there are a number of things happening in the state, but what's interesting here is that we've received members uh -huh. because... I'm a Lutheran pastor, uh, which is interesting. That's and interesting. so, so it, there are not a lot of Lutherans in the yeah, area. Okay. And so when someone finds out that's my background, I'm sure we've probably lost as many Anglicans as a result of it. Yeah. But it's, it's an interesting thing. And my ecumenical work locally um, is really strengthened. Um, in part because um, you know, I can preside yeah. at the Congregational Church right. um, because I'm a Lutheran. As an Episcopal priest, I couldn't do that necessarily. Oh, Could and you so do that it, now that it, you're serving in Episcopal absolutely, Church? Absolutely, because yeah. I'm ordained as a Lutheran yeah. pastor. Okay. So it's an interesting um, entree in. Yeah. In the Episcopal Church in New Hampshire right now, there, there are two really cool things happening in Claremont. Uh, Prince of Peace, the Lutheran Church, sold their church building and they moved in with the Episcopalians. Okay. And so the priest in charge at Trinity Claremont is a Lutheran. She's living it on a daily basis. She's um, using both the Book of Common Prayer and the ELW. Um, she currently has a Vestriana Council. They are mm -hmm. loosely affiliated, but they're worshiping together and they're doing ministry oh. together. And yeah, it's great. really exciting to see on the kind of the western front of the state of New Hampshire, this ministry that is evolving um, in a town that is really struggling on, in many ways economically. And it's really exciting to see that happen. Yeah. 
in another area in Laconia, right across right. the lake, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church originally was was birthed out of uh, St. James Episcopal Church downtown in Laconia. St. James, uh, as a parish, was was shrinking, and they were approached to sell their building to the uh, Boys and Girls Clubs. They did, mm-hmm. and they found space at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church. And so they are now sharing space. Um, this summer, as the priest was on sabbatical, they worshipped three out of four Sundays a month uh, with the Lutheran congregation. Okay, so well, that's coming together so more They're and more trying too. to figure out what's going to happen there. Yeah, right. And only God knows at this point, but it's an opportunity again uh, to see what might happen. In North Conway, Nativity is in a pastoral vacancy at this point, um, but the Episcopal Church um, in town, they had an interim priest there who was living in the former rectory of the Lutheran Church. The Lutheran Church had been a Catholic church, so the building is called a rectory, even though we would call it a parsonage. And so uh, the priest was staying there, and she jokingly called it the Lutheran Home for the Aged. She's a retired <laughs> priest doing interim <laughs> ministry. And, uh, and so she was living there and using office space there. Um, they've called um, a, a full-time, um, or three-quarter time, I guess, priest in charge for the parish, and he is also using space okay. um, at the Lutheran Church. And so there are opportunities and doors opening that I think um, haven't opened in the past. Uh, we have a vacancy in Newington uh, right now, and that is a, um, a Lutheran congregation that has used a full-time pastor and, and interns for a number of years, yeah. part-time visitation pastor. And right now, the interim is a Lutheran, and the part-time uh, pastor doing youth and family ministry is an Episcopal priest um, in, the, in the Diocese of New Hampshire. And so we're doing more and more of this cross-fertilization and sharing of resources, which is really, really very, very exciting. That is. Yeah, and in ways that I haven't heard happening as extensive as this. Right. Uh, So this this needs to be probably one of the frontiers where this is really coming together. I think it's important to lift up how similar we are, and yet we can do ministry together and still honor uh, the traditions um, and the the, uh, theology of the two traditions. You got any fun moments where you uh, were really out of your element with the, oh, I didn't get that before. Uh, well, Sunday we had a bishop's visit. Yeah. And uh, the bishop, uh, Bishop Rob is wonderful. For my um, celebration of new ministry, uh, which is what Episcopalians call an installation service. Right. Both bishops were here. So Bishop Rob um, presided and Bishop Jim preached. And it was a wonderful opportunity, and their bantering was just classic. All of the colleagues that I have in the Episcopal Church think that Jim is just the coolest thing going. You know, a bishop on a bike. The yeah, whole right, thing. exactly, yeah. And so I was, at, I was at a clergy event for the Episcopal Church, and something was said about how cool Jim was, blah, blah, blah. And Rob's like, um, I own a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there are those moments yeah, uh, right. that happen. But on Sunday, Rob was here. We, we have worship. We had two services. At the end of the 8 o'clock service, um, I, I handed the uh, presider's book to my Eucharistic minister, um, the equivalent of an assisting minister in the Lutheran Church, to do the dismissal. And uh, he did that, which has been our practice. But in the Episcopal Church, mm-hmm. that role is reserved for a deacon. In the Lutheran Church, it's an assisting minister. And whether you're ordained or not ordained, yeah, right. it doesn't matter. Well, I completely, that was lost on me. And so the bishop said, do you always have a layperson do the dismissal? I said, well, I don't have a deacon. 
Yeah. And uh, he said, well, it's in the Episcopal Church. That's usually reserved. That's really reserved for an ordained person. So I was like, mm. oh, learn okay. something new every day. <laughs> so sometimes those little traditions that are assumed and just in the DNA of a particular tradition are not translated easily. Even when you read the rubric, you know, it sounds so similar. And the dismissal is the dismissal. Right, and right. So without a deacon, everyone would just stay in church all day. No, the priest then would, <laughs> does it, would yeah, do the dismissal. So, so the rector does the yeah. dismissal. What have been some of the highlights in your time here at All Saints? The biggest highlight really is our, a successful capital campaign. Um, there was some uh, pent-up demand to do a couple of things here before I arrived. There was a two-year interim period. Um, and so um, I'm, I'm the first rector after a 34-year pastorate. Oh, wow. When I served in East Hartford, it was a 31-year yep. pastorate. Right. Yeah, so right. I, I think I've found a niche, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there was some pent-up demand for some things here uh, to do some renovation and maintenance kind of upkeep in the sanctuary in one of our meeting rooms to uh, replace the organ, uh, which was on its way out. And, uh, and then to really um, be better stewards of the earth, to button up this building a little bit more and, um, and to uh, really um, look at energy efficiency and solar. Yeah. And so we, we dedicated a 48-panel solar array on Sunday, putting the bishop in a bucket lift uh, to do that. Yep. So that has been a lot of fun. We still have the maintenance. Uh, we're hoping to do flooring and painting in the sanctuary this winter. Uh, we're looking to schedule that during our slow time. Um, the odd thing about Wolfboro is that um, the summertime attendance in worship is the highest of the whole year. Yeah. And, sure. uh, and so we don't have it. We have a traditional program year, but we don't have that lull that a lot of congregations have where people are on vacation. And I typically don't take vacation in the summer because we have so many guests and folks yeah, in right. worship. So yeah. it's a little bit of a different cadence. But our folks are really jazzed about solar energy, about energy efficiency, um, and uh, we're going to generate about three quarters of all of the oh, wow. um, electrical needs of the parish um, here on the roof. That's exciting for us. Uh, we linked it to the Solarized Wolfboro campaign, which several members here were a part of that to encourage solar power throughout town, a town-wide initiative to do that. Um, and we are getting involved with Interfaith Light and Power, which really has a nominal um, group in New Hampshire. Um, and so we're encouraging that group to grow mm -hmm. and, uh, and to help other churches in the, in the state try and navigate in a state that doesn't have a lot of uh, tax incentives because there are not a lot of taxes in New Hampshire and to find a way to support congregations that want to look at energy efficiency. So we've learned a lot and are excited about sharing what we've learned in that process. So one of the things we do is uh, try to talk with leaders about ways that they connect their faith and life together. I know you do a lot of servicey kinds of things, but what are the th maybe faith practices you do that uh, keep you going? Sure. Because, you know, this whatever name is on the sign outside, it's a, it's a demanding gig. It is, no a, it is a demanding gig. Um, one of the things that I've enjoyed the most about this kind of Luther Palian walk you know, I was blessed to be in seminary while the ELW was introduced. So, you know, that was a lot of uh, fun for me to be able to, to take this new resource and to really be able to explore it and understand the breadth and depth of it as a resource. Um, and so that, that is a, a great resource 
uh, for me. But the Book of Common Prayer, which I was familiar with in seminary, but I've, I had not plumbed its depths. And really, the, the daily office in the Book of Common Prayer is a great resource uh, to use. And I use a lot of, um, of outdoor meditative uh, time as well. The way that I met the fire department here in town. Um, this is a low church, Episcopal church. Okay. I, I claim myself as a Lutheran, uh, a blue jeans, high church Lutheran. Uh-huh. So I arrived here and uh, all my friends said, oh, you're going to an Episcopal church. There'll be incense and, and smells and bells and you'll fit right in. And I came here and I'm more high church than the congregation. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. And so... Breaks um, those stereotypes wide open. Exactly. Yeah. I, I owned one chasuble when I arrived and the, the parish owned one chasuble. Um, and so this is just a casual place. Yeah. And so that... Um, spirituality here and exploring that for me personally as well as with the congregation is a a growing edge a little bit. Um, But I met the fire department because I was burning incense in my office and praying and I set off the smoke alarm. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) And so the fire department, so the whole building went off and the the fire department shows up and they wanted to know, you know, where the cause was. I met them outside. I said, incense set off the smoke detector and uh, they encouraged me to open the windows <laughs> and they laughed about incense that and it was in the church. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, quiet meditation is a help for me. And scripture reading in a variety of settings is also fun. So I love, I, I love to go downtown to the downtown grill and, and read scripture just with all the noise and the, the incense there is coffee yeah, um, yeah. and uh, chai tea and all yeah. of that. Um, and so that, that keeps me going and exploring, continuing to plumb the depths of the um, Book of Common Prayer is really, really something that I'm, I'm growing to appreciate more and more. And the prayers that are in, um, in contemporary language according to the 79 Book of Common Prayer, really not contemporary by 2016. But often the prayers are listed alongside traditional language. So the Old English is still there Mm. that carries over from the uh, 28 prayer book or that would be found in Rite 1, which is the Old English uh, worship setting for the Episcopal Church. So the relationship to the Book of Common Prayer is much different than the way Lutherans treat the ELW. So you want to share a little bit about that? Because I don't know if everybody who listens to us knows. Sure. So if you, were, if you were to say, there are lots of translation issues yeah. between the two traditions. Um, if you were to say that, if, that Lutherans are people of the book, immediately, of course, we're going to think people of the book, we're talking about the Bible. If you talk to an Episcopalian people of the book, they're going to immediately say, well, the, the Book of Common Prayer. And the joke is that, you know, the Bible has an awful lot of the Book of Common Prayer in it. Um, that's what, <laughs> you know, how Episcopalians joke about that. And, yeah. and so the Book of Common Prayer is a, a wonderfully rich resource. And uh, Gordon Lathrop, you know, the preeminent Lutheran um, liturgical scholar, um, says that the, the Episcopal Church are, is the keeper of the beautiful English version of the liturgy. So English liturgy is really kept in the Book of Common Prayer. And much of the ELW comes from the Book of Common yeah. Prayer. The priest in charge in Claremont, after her first Luther Paleon Holy Week, called me up and said, hey, 
you guys ripped off a whole lot of the Book of Common Prayer for the liturgies in Holy Week. I said, liturgy has been around longer than the Book of Common Prayer. <laughs> and the source book, of course, has been around a whole lot longer. Yeah, and right. so it, we, we joke about it, um, but those kind of nuances are a little bit different. The Book of Common Prayer is the prescribed way of worship. There are the two rites, the right one and right two. We're used to settings yeah. in LBW or ELW, and the ELW has offered us an opportunity to a la carte. Yeah, right. There's a lot, of, a lot of choices. Yep. And so my call here, and I think one of the reasons they were interested in, in a Lutheran in some ways, was that we honor liturgy in the same way, but this is a community liturgical church. And so we subscribe to the right stuff and to mm-hmm. Sundays and Seasons. And so it's not uncommon for us. We will use the Book of Common Prayer liturgy and the approved liturgies of the Episcopal Church from enriching worship, but we will pull oftentimes uh, the prayers of the people, which the Book of Common Prayer, as well as the Lutheran Church, allows you to write your own. Yeah. I'll adapt Sundays and Seasons sure. um, as a starting point and use that as a resource, um, as an example. Um, the psalm, um, some of the psalm resources we mm-hmm. use um, occasionally... Um, uh, a dismissal or a, a post-communion prayer. The bishop here is pretty flexible about liturgy, and so we can pull resources from throughout the Anglican Communion. Uh, okay. The New Zealand uh, Book of Common Prayer is a wonderful, hmm. um, more contemporary resource that I, I recommend to everybody. Yeah. Um, I owned it before I was serving in an Episcopal context, um, so I really found oh, the liturgy yeah. very contemplative and, and contemporary all at the same time. It's, yeah. wow. it's a great resource. I, I, I commend it. And there are nuances between the two traditions, um, the, uh, the Eucharistic understanding. Um, one of the things I, I did when I was in the search process is that my Eucharistic theology is more Lutheran than Catholic. Um, and there are some Anglo-Catholics where in, in, a, in an Episcopal setting, you may find a tabernacle and not an, yeah. an ombre. So the Episcopal Church does reserve sacrament. I've been in Lutheran churches that do reserve yep. sacrament. When I was looking online at pictures and video of worship here, I kept looking for the ombre. You know, I'm like, it's an Episcopal church. There's reserved sacrament. Where is it? There is the eternal light. It's got to be near there somewhere. And here, it's not a big fancy carved wood box. It's a door in the wall that's painted white to match the side of the chancel. Oh. Um, and so that was a, a nuance to get accustomed to the difference in practices Several of our Lutheran colleagues have talked to me about being nervous presiding in an Episcopal church, and so they'll contact me and, and ask about, about those things and what to expect. Yeah. And so um, it's not uncommon to receive the number of people in worship so that you actually put out the correct number of wafers oh boy. Um, to consecrate. Wow. Uh, you know, there are some settings that are that organized. There's one church here in New Hampshire that has a silver box that has 10 wafers in each slot so that you can easily grab the appropriate number to put on the patent no kidding. Um, during the uh, the great Thanksgiving, so it's wow. it's fascinating some of the yeah, nuances. Right, right. We record it every um, everything in a book in the pulpit here. In other churches, it's kept in the sacristy, and so the number of people attending, the number of people that are communed, are recorded by by the clergy. 
Hmm. I'm used to the ushers counting. Yeah, the and at the end of the year, the parish secretary right. tallies right. it up. And but here, I have to sign every every time the sacrament is administered. I sign authenticated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. so that's a those traditions um, yeah. and and the polity is a little bit different um, in some unique places. And occasionally, I will learn. Uh, my first annual meeting we had in February, the first Sunday in February, for whatever reason or second Sunday in February, mm -hmm. we worked it around snow and Super Bowl. And I was at a gathering of clergy and people were talking about how their annual meetings went. And I said, well, I haven't had mine yet. And they thought I was joking. And they said, canon law says that it must be held before the end of January. And if you can't do it, you need the bishop's permission. Uh-oh. And I thought they were joking. And then I realized that the clergy convener of the convocation was quite serious. And so I sent off an, a note to the bishop and the canon to the ordinary, apologizing for not understanding that that yep. was the practice and asking permission. And I never heard back, so it wasn't a big deal. <laughs> so there's this wow. casualness in, in New Hampshire, right. um, which is, is a blessing. The diocese does not have a cathedral. Um, okay. it's, a, it's a lean staff. Um, it's a responsive staff. Um, and so it's not as formal. Jeff, I know you've, you've served in Connecticut. And the, the uh, Episcopal Church in Connecticut, that's the motherland that's for a big Episcopalians deal, yeah. Yeah. In, in North America. It would be as if um, we were in the Twin Cities, right. you know, in the middle wow. of Lutheran land. And so there is not as much collegiality um, between Lutherans and Episcopalians. There is collegiality. I went to a lot of um, Episcopal events. We, we did Holy Week together. I went right. to a number of workshops. Uh, we had Episcopal clergy in our local pericope group. But in the, state of, in the state of Connecticut, the Diocese of Connecticut, when you are a Lutheran serving, you can be a priest in charge. Right. You can do interim ministry. You cannot be a rector. And the rec a rector means that you have full responsibility for the parish. And I feel like you need to be licensed or something like this, along those lines. You I do. Don't, I don't know the language exactly, but it's something something like that. Exactly. And so there's there's much more connection to your your bishop. Um, they have more responsibility for you and more authority for you, um, and so that is a a, a bit different. Um, in the Lutheran world, we invite the bishop to come. Um, to visit our congregations if we like the bishop. And the synod, as much as it sometimes is made out to be this evil overseer, that's not the reality in our polity no, as Lutherans. No. In the Episcopal Church, uh, you know... They'll the, tell you when they're going. The, own, the <laughs> owner of All Saints Church, Wolfboro, is the Episcopal Church of New Hampshire. Yeah, And right. so um, it is not the, this congregation. It's not this parish. And so there is mo more... Um, oversight in that yeah. regard. Yep. And and oftentimes you will see the bishop's name listed on the Sunday bulletin as clergy in that parish. I see. Um, so it is a little bit of a different mm -hmm. um, setting in that regard. Bringing it back to, to you, um, what is a, a favorite scripture passage or story that you are fond of? Great question. Uh, the Emmaus Road, I think, is my absolute favorite. It, it hangs in my office, an image of it. It hangs in my family room at home. Um, I think that one of my favorite sayings, it's fun when you're with a congregation long enough that some of your sayings get parroted back to you. Right, yeah. And so the two things um, that I wasn't aware that I said, uh, one was parroted back by the men's Bible study, and one was parroted back by the altar guild. So the altar guild here parroted back, it's all good. 
<laughs> they get so worried about things yeah. that things aren't in the proper place, and I'm fairly relaxed. Blue Jeans High Church, remember? Yeah, right. And so I say it's all good all the time, apparently. And yeah. they joke about it. And so when they worry or apologize, they look at me, and, and I had one woman say, you're going to tell me it's all good. I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> right, Why worry right. about it? And the men's Bible study group uh, that does the, um, the text for the week every Thursday morning at 730 and then goes out to breakfast, they will tell you that my favorite line is, God surprises. Mm-hmm. And so the Emmaus Road story is, mm-hmm. is the everywhere, every place, every person story of, of encountering the divine. And so the, uh, the incarnation into each one of us, in and through the, the walk, in and through the story, in and through, can you believe what happened in Jerusalem today? Do you know what happened? How yeah. can you not have heard um, the comfort, the invitation, the hospitality, the sharing of the meal, the breaking of the bread, all of that uh, just drips with, with God surprising Mm-hmm. And God being fully present all the time. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that, that's really where my, my theology hangs, is on that God surprises, and it's all good. It's all good. good. It is all it's good. Great. It is all good. And just an easy way of saying God is grace. Yeah. Um, people don't know what grace means, but if you say it's all good, they get it. You found any uh, theological words that mean different things in the Episcopal hmm. world? You know, you say, well, I meant... When I say grace, I mean, you know, all-encompassing mercy, forgiveness, etc. But what's heard is this. I, I'm not, I just picked a word out of random. But. Yeah, I, I think um, I was introduced at the first convention uh, of the Episcopal Church of New Hampshire. So here are 450 people gathered in a ballroom. Sounds like Synod Assembly. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And I was introduced as a new clergy person. And, uh, you know, I was introduced as a Lutheran. And so we have, we have a biblical scholar in our midst. So the Episcopal folk view Lutherans as valuing scripture and knowing scripture. And, and in most of our seminaries, we take Greek and Hebrew, yeah. uh, where most Episcopalians just take one or the other. Oh, I see. Um, and so, so I, think, I think that oftentimes Episcopalians see us as being a little bit more um, biblical centered. Uh-huh. Um, and, and in my experience of listening to preaching, um, I think that's probably true in some ways. But theological terms are, I haven't found any that have jumped out at me um, with some nuances. Yeah. The biggest one um, was, is not really a theological term, but an understanding. The very last thing I was asked in the search process, and it was like, oh, we had, I, we had already started to stand up from around the table. We need to ask this question. I said, okay. So we all sat back down and they said, um, I, we think we know what your answer is to this, but we have to ask it. We've asked, we've asked in all of the other searches, where do you stand with open communion? So I talked about a table being open for all people. Yeah. Um, and, and that one of the reasons I'm not a fan of, of altar rails is that it serves as a gate, as a barrier. Right. And that it's not my role. I'm the server. You know, I, I do room service to yep. people in hospitals yep. and nursing homes and at home, and I'm, I'm the server, uh, and it's not my role um, to, to re- keep people from the table. All are welcome at the table is included in my invitation mm-hmm. in one way or another. Well, come to find out, open table in the Episcopal Church of New Hampshire has a different connotation, and it's the same conversation that's happening in the Lutheran Church, and it happened, it's happening in the Episcopal Church, is the issue of baptism oh, I see. as right. a prerequisite for receiving right. communion. And so that was, that was quite a surprise to yeah. me um, because the canons of the church say yep. that you must. Right. And our theology and understanding in the Lutheran church 
and the means of grace detail that baptism comes first. And so that was a fascinating conversation when I realized the language wasn't the same. Now, in my serving, uh, my confession is serving a Lutheran parish um, in the New England Synod, I took the, the language of all baptized Christians are welcome to the Lord's table off of our bulletins. Mm-hmm. Um, because I realized after two months, I had been serving a nine-year-old who had not been baptized. My yep. first baptism was a nine-year-old yep. who, who said, what's to keep me from being baptized? Wow, that's, that's scriptural. I've, I've heard that <laughs> <Yeah>. question. <laughs> right. And, uh, and here um, in August, we had three baptisms. Uh, one week we had the baptism of two 10-month-old um, twins. And, and the week before, we had the baptism of a 23-year-old oh, whose great. wedding I, I presided at a year ago. And he's been receiving communion in this parish for years. And uh, when I found out he hadn't been baptized, we had a conversation. Yep. He was brought up in a, in a home where parents hadn't taken the kids to church. And I gave him some resources to read. We talked about it. Um, it wasn't a precursor for me presiding at the wedding. I didn't say anything to him to um, have him not feel comfortable at the table. Yep. And... Um, all, all, all's good. All's good. All's good. You know, ultimately, he had a conversation with his grandmother, who was a person of faith. And so here is this grandmother talking to her grandson, talking to the clergy person, and this dialogue about what, what does it mean to be baptized? What does it mean to receive grace um, through, through the simple things? So our theological understanding of sacraments are, are similar between the two yep. uh, denominations. And so it was very easy. So open communion... Both definitions I support. (laughs) And at the last convention in the Episcopal Church of New Hampshire, we had a dialogue in the convention that had never been held. Mm. Even though the majority of clergy and this bishop and the previous bishop supported it, um, it didn't get out of uh, the House of Bishops during uh, the um, churchwide Episcopal convention. And so um, it's the the rules still remain the same, as they do in the Lutheran Church. But local practices... Right. tend to be very different yep. yeah. um, based yep. on congregational need yep. and tradition. Yep. And, and we use our pastoral judgment right. always. Yep. Yep. And uh, I'm blessed to have a bishop in the Episcopal Church that allows us, who is very pastoral and allows that pastoral judgment, where in some corners of the church, in all flavors of the church, yeah. you have people in authority that exert that authority and uh, and the rules are to be followed. But... Hey, it's all good as Luther Palians. It's all good. It's all good. All right. Well, thank you very much uh, for joining us today, and thank you for your hospitality and allowing us us to set up our mobile studio here for the afternoon. But is there any last words that you would like to leave us with, or if someone wanted to get a hold of you with some Luther Palian questions, uh, what's the best way to do that? The best way to do that is to Google All Saints Wolfboro. Find us on Facebook, or you can find me on Twitter, uh, Pastor Bill P., and Facebook as well. Great. Great. Well, thank you very much for all of you who are listening to this podcast. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Once again, uh, we are the Two Bald Pastors. I am Joe McGarry. And I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. And we are helping you connect your faith with your life. Be blessed. So there. (laughs) So there. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors.
yesterday he was playing with a little thing on the mic there stand. There was like a little thing like this. I was nice. like, stop doing that. It's like, <laughs> but, well, we're all, you know, 13 year olds. ADD. Trying to pass the time. Oh, yeah. Hey, what? yeah. Squirrel. Squirrel. Exactly. <laughs>